Here's Pastor Ed with a brief preview of today's edition of Voice of Faith. Mankind is responsible to God, and we have a debt. That word debt means dues, duties, wrongs, debts, that which is owed, that which is legally due. It means a failure to pay one's debts, one's dues, a failure to do one's duty, to keep one's responsibility. All of us have failed God. All of us have fallen short of what God wanted us to be. God is our sovereign creator. He's granted us a place to live, family, friends, and most importantly, life. He loves us and cherishes us individually and gives us the opportunity to live a rich and fulfilling life. We owe Him more than we could ever repay. But as Pastor Ed points out in today's message, we fall short of God's expectations on a daily basis, and our debts continue to pile up. It's nothing short of miraculous that we have a Savior who has seen those debts and has chosen to dismiss them. Let's join Pastor Ed in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 12, for part one of his message entitled, And Forgive Us Our Debts. The petition this morning is the fifth petition in the Lord's Prayer. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is the longest of all the petitions. This is the only petition that Jesus explained and expounded and expanded later on in the Sermon on the Mount. St. Augustine calls this petition the terrible petition because he realized that if we pray, Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and we pray it with an unforgiving heart, we're actually asking God not to forgive us. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. Wow. The Puritan preacher Thomas Watson wrote, our forgiving others is not the cause of God forgiving us, but is the condition without which he will not forgive us. Thomas Watson also wrote, this great Puritan preacher, a man can as well go to hell for not forgiving as for not believing. Think about that. A man can as well go to hell for not forgiving as for not believing. And George Herbert wrote, He that cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he himself must pass if he would reach heaven. For everyone has a need to be forgiven. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God, how can I do that? 
That's impossible. It certainly is. But by the Spirit of God, it's possible. First, I want you to see, we have an incredible debt. Now, unless you believe you have a debt, it's easy to be unforgiving. It's easy to hold other people to an account. It's easy to grab another by the throat and say, pay me everything you owe me. Notice the Bible says, forgive us our debts. God brought you into his existence. He sustains your life. If he forgot you for one moment, you would disappear into oblivion. He is your creator. You have a responsibility to your creator to follow his laws, to keep his commandments, to obey his ways, to recognize that everything in this world belongs to him. He created it. It's his. And so are you. To fail, to recognize our responsibility to God is a failure that is consequential and will impact your whole eternity. Whether you want to recognize it or not, mankind is responsible to God. And we have a debt. That word debt means dues, duties, wrongs, debts, that which is owed, that which is legally due. It means a failure to pay one's debts, one dues, a failure to do one's duty, to keep one's responsibility. All of us have failed God. All of us have fallen short of what God wanted us to be. In Romans 5, 12, it says, By one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, all have sinned. We are debtors to God. All of us have sinned. Theologians refer to original sin. We're all born with a sinful nature. As soon as we come out of the womb, we're sinners. As soon as we're young enough to be conscious of things, we're already disobeying God. And we're accumulating a debt. We have a responsibility to obey him. We have a responsibility to do his will. We have a responsibility to glorify him. And when we don't do those things, we are creating a debt for ourselves. There are sins of omission, sins that you willfully know. How many of you have said to God at times, maybe not so much in words but by your actions, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to obey you, God. If you're honest with yourself, you know you have. There are sins of commission. Things that we should have done that we've neglected to do. We owe God reverence. Have we given him that reverence? We owe God obedience. Have we given him that unquestioning obedience? We owe God our service. Have we given him our service? We owe God complete self-surrender. Have we done that? God has said the greatest commandment is to love him with all our hearts, minds, and souls. Have we done it? 
things that we've neglected, those, that person you should have witnessed to that you didn't, the time you should have apologized that you didn't, the time that you should have given and, and, and you just didn't. All of those things are a debt. It's growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. We have an incredible debt we owe to God. David said in Psalm 51 verse 4, it was his prayer, Against thee the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. David, what do you mean? You sinned against Bathsheba, you sinned against Uriah, you sinned against the nation. What David was saying, all sin is ultimately a sin against God. Every sin that you commit, it may be against your neighbor, and you may need to ask forgiveness for them, but all sin is ultimately a sin against God. So we have an incredible debt, and that debt is growing. In Romans 3.23 it reads, For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. If you get into financial problems... It's a good idea to go in to see a financial counselor. Credit card's too high. You've overextended yourself. The creditors are calling you. So maybe you go to a financial counselor and they tell you to consolidate your debts. Well, if you were to go to a spiritual financial counselor, you know what they would tell you about your debt? They would tell you, you could spend eternity working 24 hours hours a day and never pay off the debt. You've accumulated such a debt that you could not possibly redeem your soul. Jesus said, what shall a man give in exchange for a soul? There's no way you could redeem your soul. No way you could purchase your salvation. When we say, forgive us our debts, Notice it's not singular, but plural. Notice it's forgive us our, us our. Think about the history of the church for 2,000 years. Think about all of the factions in the church. Think about the crusades. Think about the time that the church Ecclesia has martyred its own constituency. Think about the church today. We have been given a commission 2,000 years ago to fulfill the Great Commission, to evangelize the world, and we haven't even done it in 2,000 years. Talk about the debt that we have. When we say, forgive us, we are praying corporately, like Jeremiah the prophet, like Isaiah the prophet, like the prophets of old. We identify ourselves with the sins of others. We are praying corporately because we realize that we as the people of God need to be redeemed. We're all a mess. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so corporately, we cry out to God, forgive us our debt. Some of you couldn't care less whether your neighbor is going to heaven or hell. Forgive me. 
Some of you couldn't care less whether you tithe or don't. A dollar will do. Some of you couldn't care less that the Bible says don't gossip. But every time we get on our knees and we say, forgive us, we're praying for each other. Because we're all sinners in some areas. We all fall short of the glory of God. And so the debt that we're accumulating, we're saying to God, forgive us because we know we are a sinful people. And I pray that God makes us sensitive. Listen to Psalm 49, verses 7 to 9. No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. Our incredible debt. And second point, our indisputable need. Forgive. You know what your greatest need is? My greatest need is forgiveness. When we come into the presence of God, we know how much we need to be forgiven. We see ourselves for what we are. When we are estranged from God's presence, when we are cold in our hearts, when we are indifferent to God, we don't sense our desperate need of God. But once we come near to Jesus, we have the experience that Peter did when Jesus performed a miracle. And Peter said, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. See, when you come into the presence of Almighty God and when you're walking in communion with God, you know you're a sinner. This request is an incredible request. We've hurt God. We've caused him incredible pain. We've turned our backs on him. We've gone our own way. And then to come, forgive me, God. And then we go out and do the same thing. And then... We live as though forgiveness cost him nothing. In Colossians 2, verses 13 to 14, it says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. I want to just read a definition that one person gave concerning Colossians 2, verses 13 to 14. These verses explain precisely how God forgave our debts. They speak of a written code. In the Roman world, the Greek word for written code referred to any handwritten signature. But it had a specialized meaning in the world of finance. There it referred to a certificate of debt signed in the debtor's own hand. What today we would call an IOU. A man would write out how much money and then he would attach his signature to it. When the Apostle Paul spoke of the certificate of debt, 
He called it a written code with its regulations. Obviously, what he meant by the written code was the law of God. What Jesus did is we had a large IOU. He took our IOU, and on the cross, he held it as the nail pierced his hand. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. See, he nailed all of those violations to God's law. The Ten Commandments can be wrapped up in what Jesus said. The first is the greatest commandment is to love God. Second, to love our neighbor. All of the commandments hang on that. And all of us have failed. That's what the songwriter meant when he said, and it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in the part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. When the Scripture says that he canceled it, he took it away, it means wiped away blotted out. The mountain of debt that was accumulating, that could never be repaid, was taken by Jesus, born by him on the cross. And it's incredible when you and I go to him and we say, Lord, forgive us. The cost that it cost him to pay for our sins was astronomical. He separated from the Father, the triune God who knew perfect unity and no separation for the eons in the past and the eons in the future, for that moment in time, ripped apart as God the Father turned his back on him. He will bear for all eternity the marks upon his hand, his brow, of the cost of our redemption. Our greatest request is forgiveness. Our greatest need is forgiveness. We've all seen people holding things in their heart. I remember receiving a letter back in a former church, and it was about somebody in the Christian community. They said, listen, if that person doesn't get the chip off their shoulder and the grudge off the other shoulder, they're going to break their back. We've seen people who have held something done to them, and they sort of nursed that grudge. They recalled it. They remembered it. They thought and dwelled on it, and how that would grow and consume and destroy. Our greatest need is to receive forgiveness and to give forgiveness. John Wesley, when he was here in the United States as a missionary, doing missionary work, met General Oglethorpe, who was a very proud man. And he had an unbending nature. And he said, I never forgive. And Wesley replied to him, then I hope, sir, you never sin. 
Think about all the wrongs that God has suffered at your hands. Think about all the wrongs that God has suffered at your hands. The times you've ignored him. The times you've neglected him. The times you've turned your back on him. We need forgiveness. It's the greatest request. There's nothing more important than that you're forgiven. Because if you're not forgiven, all eternity outside of God, all eternity in hell, all eternity without the presence of God, it's your greatest need. When people walk under the burden of guilt and shame, when people walk not being forgiven by God and not living in forgiveness, their soul withers, their capacity to enjoy life is diminished. They are their own prisoners. I read an astounding account of Lloyd LeBlanc. He went, he went to a prison to visit Patrick Sonier, who had killed his son. Lloyd LeBlanc went out to the field when his son was killed. He saw his son's body. The eyes of his son were bulging out as his child was abused. He was a Christian. Lloyd knelt down and he prayed the Lord's Prayer. And when he came to the fifth petition, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, he said, yes, Lord, I will. He went to his son's murderer's execution. He went there not to gloat, not to look down, but he went there just to offer forgiveness. And before Sonia was executed, he said, would you forgive me? And Lloyd said, yes, I forgive you. That father had to think about all the years when the son would have been 10 years old and 15 a teenager and and then graduating high school and college and when that son would have been married and when that son would have been an older man like himself and, and none of those things happened for his son. But God gave him the grace and the ability to forgive. At Promise Keepers a number of years ago, a pastor had a conversation with a man. And this man told him how his sister's husband was murdered by another man. And they caught the murderer. He was incarcerated and eventually executed. But the wife of the murderer didn't want to take care of their children anymore. And he said, I adopted those children, and we're going to raise them up. That's the grace of God. That's the power of Christ working in a life. You and I cannot do that on our own. Praying is one of the most intimate parts of our Christian life. It's the single most important way we communicate with God. 
Over the centuries, there have been many wonderful prayers written by saints of God. And probably the most notable is the Lord's Prayer that Jesus prayed in Luke chapter 11. Pastor Ed will be teaching through this prayer in a nine-part series entitled The Lord's Prayer. In each broadcast of Voice of Faith, Pastor Ed will break down each of the components of this prayer, helping us to understand the significance of each part. We'll learn what it means to forgive others as we've been forgiven and why it's important to ask the Lord to deliver us from the snares of Satan. Now, we'd like to invite you to join us at Faith Assembly for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. For driving directions and more information, log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and follow the link to Faith Assembly. Or feel free to give us a call at 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Voice of Faith with Dr. Edward Jones. Please join us next time as Pastor Ed continues teaching through this series entitled The Lord's Prayer, right here on Voice of Faith.